Today's episode is brought to you by Deathwish Inc. For over 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greet Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store right now using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for all items included again that is 10% off all deathwish releases and merch at deathwishinc.com slash the first ever if you ever wanted to hear me sing in a band with mosh parts go check out my other band hesitation wounds the record is called chicanery and it's available right now Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is the 101st episode, and it's part two of uh, the conversation between Jordan Dreyer and myself. Jordan Dreyer from Law Dispute was kind enough to agree to guest host the show and uh, do the flip role reversal and interview me. But because we are such good friends, um, we ended up going long. So instead of punishing everybody with like a three and a half hour episode last week, I split it into two. So this is the part two. Um, Before we get there, though, I want to let you know that there is a bonus episode available for this over on the Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon right now, Uh, You could hear that part two of the bonus episode where subscribers submitted questions and uh, they're for both Jordan and myself. It's uh, it was really fun and I appreciate those questions. If you're interested in things like that in submitting questions to upcoming guests, uh, you could subscribe for three bucks, seven bucks, ten bucks. You'll see the different tiers. Uh, there's a discord channel, you get bonus radio episodes, all sorts of fun stuff is happening over there. And above all, it helps support the show. Another way to help support the show is by subscribing. If you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, that helps so much. Uh, Leaving a positive rating review, always very helpful. means a lot to have that sort of support. And lastly, I want to offer a discount code to the big cartel that I run. If you use the discount code first ever, just uh, spelled out one word, uh, over at secretvoice.bigcartel.com. You can get 15% off first ever podcast merch, which is available right now. We got a shirt, we got a hat, and also you'll get 15% off my latest poetry book, which is called December. Uh, So yeah, hit up secretvoice.bigcartel.com and use that code first ever. All right, here is part two of my conversation with Jordan Dreyer. What we didn't talk about was the split we did in 2010 after 
to the beat of a dead horse and before parting the sea between brightness and me god you have such long song titles i'm gonna be the first person who can album titles who can complain to you about the length of your titles because ours are very fucking long yeah but we're getting better i mean the last one's just straight up lament the one before that was stage four it's like yeah and the and then I, it survived by it's like I'm going one, you know, I'm You're not whittling it down. It's time. going to be a letter yeah. title eventually. I've been consciously exactly. working on that as well. And I and I sort of feel like our next record is going to be like when the pawn level length, I'm just going to make it a full chapter of a book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but long titles are split. Yeah. It's called Searching for a Pulse, The Worth of the World. And we released it in 2010. Uh, you probably remember when we recorded it better than I do because your brain works better than mine. So I will say it's a little foggy. I just remember going and recording the vocals at uh, when you guys were doing Wildlife. And when did you guys, do you remember when you even recorded Wildlife? Because that came out in 2011 as well. It came out in so 2011. Like, we did two separate sessions. One, I think, in the spring of 2010 because there's no way we would have had that quick then that would have been when i came in yeah for sure and that well we did chicago and then we did later in the year we did new york and i think you came oh, well, in the studio in new york because we were with andrew yeah oh so that even it's funny because that even speaks to how quick the vinyl turnaround used to be yeah. if that actually came out in 2010 and if we recorded that towards the end of the year holy fuck that's you crazy. could actually yeah, print vinyl on demand instead of the three oh year I, I might be wrong but I, I do feel like it was later in the year that we were in new york but uh i'd have to consult uh, a lot of dispute historian which would be yeah I but i mean it's, been, it's kind of fun to, it's it's you know it's been talked about before i forget if we covered it on your episode but like you know we had played we had become obviously very good friends early on and then we played a house show legendary house show mm-hmm. at summer camp in chicago mm-hmm. with uh former thieves into it over it um and you and I sat on the porch and like talked about uh, maybe doing the split mm-hmm. and kind of threw around ideas of like singing on each other's songs and, and all that sorts of stuff. Um, and, you know, it also makes me, um, you know, miss the days of so many putting out so many seven inches and yeah. so many splits, you know, like we were all about that for so totally. many years. And then just like, I don't know what it was, but just our our output uh decrease a lot because we used to like put out a record and then some seven inches mm-hmm. a record and then some seven inches and um i mean this in this day and age it's like pretty tough to sell seven inches just kind of period sure um it's not a format that a lot of people uh love anymore um no, pretty hyper specific to a to a particular yeah, person I, I mean i feel like when we're in the age where everybody wants things to either just be digital like on their phone or um just want something you know that's not going to take up a lot of room like lps mm-hmm. take up a lot of room so then you're like hey what about this other format that's like you know half its size and uh it doesn't look good sideways so you have to find a <laughs> kind of a cool way to like sure. have them present it whatever whatever the reason may be and also it's like you know they used to be five bucks now they're normally about 10 bucks now the price of what goes, an lp was yeah yeah everything kind of it's everything's more expensive so like i don't know just over time it becomes a harder thing to sell like i think true uh collectors and vinyl heads and all that sort of stuff will like still always buy them but um your average fan who's happy to 
uh, get your new LP when it goes up for pre-order isn't the same person who's like, oh, I only get a song. Right, no. right. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, I, I think that the, the the digital point, I think, is super salient because I, I think that a digital medium in particular is like not conducive to, to seven-inch listening, especially splits for whatever reason. Just even the way that they're like, inconsistently stored on artist profiles sometimes mm-hmm. you know two songs are on one and two songs are on the other so like the experience of listening to like flipping a, a seven inch and listening to one song from each band is like kind of been uh axed by by digitizing everything by transferring yeah. all of our listening habits to spotify and title and apple music and whatever totally yeah you're absolutely right which is a shame um, um but i was gonna say uh, sorry uh we, I feel like we have talked quite a bit in the past, I'm sure, if not together, then separately about the the seven inch. But I think it like goes back to what I said about you or have said repeatedly throughout this entire interview about like I, I, to me, the, the way that you guys embraced seven inches and splits was like uh, a, a passion for collaboration and just like pure excitement to be releasing things with artists that you love, which I've always fucking love because like it's one thing to do a split with us like it made us it made a lot of sense for us our our two bands having spent so much time touring and like coming up at the same time releasing records in the same year often whatever to have collaborated but like the casket lottery split for you guys like there's no real tangible benefit for your band in releasing a split with uh what is effectively a band's band that like never really had their moment in the sun you just took the opportunity to release a record with a band that you loved and admired and i think that's fucking yeah. sick and really hoped that you know it was it's that thing of this band is so good and was so important to i mean like i met i like i mentioned like we went to ed rose because of survival is for cowards right you know and anyone who knows the casket lottery is like there's no like minor fan of the casket lottery it's like if you if you were into them you think they're so good totally for us it was like we got the inside track that they were going to be getting back together you know, like that they're going to be doing this record. And did you get you know, the inside I, track from Ed? Did you hear from Ed when you were, or no, is it just, just I almost, through the grapevine? Well, funny enough, I don't remember. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No. In 2010, we played shows with Coalesce mm. on the Converge run. So I became friendly with Nathan, who is the uh, bass player from Coalesce, but sings in the casket lottery. Mm. And um, he told me that they were going to, they're kicking around ideas of playing shows and writing a record and then remember no sleep did the record mm. so it was all kind of like within the same world sort of and 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 no sleep put out that split as well and at that point because of <laughs> because of the law dispute split uh chris kind of knew that it was gonna probably be a ridiculous package and yeah. it sure was like it It like is crazy. It's like very origami, like folds out super crazy. Uh, I love the packaging on that. Um, but it was fun because they they covered a Beach House song and it's an incredible cover of it. Like it Such sounds cool just choice. like, yeah, it sounds just like Beach House. It's crazy. And uh, we did a replacements cover, which was really fun. Um, made us also realize uh, if you listen to our replacements cover. So we cover their song Unsatisfied. And we play it like as, you know, <laughs> the uh, in the the least um, creative way where it's like, well, let's just play it faster. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that's how we'll make yeah, it ours. Yeah. We'll just play it. We'll play it with distortion and kind of play it faster. Um, but we realized when we were recording it that that the 
that the Foo Fighters completely ripped off that song because if you play Unsatisfied the way we did, it's literally Learn to Fly. Like you can sing Learn to Fly over it, (laughs) which is is crazy, which is crazy. That's a fun thing if anyone's listening to this and wants to hear that. Uh, Put on our cover of Unsatisfied. What yeah, are the odds that that was intentional? Like, oh, 1000 percent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 1000%. I mean, I, you know, I'm obsessed with those things. Like a, like a classic one is, um, I think it's, I think it's high and dry is purple rain. Oh, I think shit. I think it's high and dry. Yeah. It, there's, I love stuff like that. It's just like, oh, wow. You just literally just took all of the same notes, Which, but just. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's I, guitar music in general. It's but. guitar music in general. It also like this, and this is a tangent, but I feel like uh, you, you and I are both mutual appreciators of the uh, of the film world. Uh, you more so than me, I would say, but but nonetheless, we bond over that. In your letterbox, baby. <laughs> Come on. But, but like, uh, I think that I think that uh, falling in love with film has helped me uh, deepen my appreciation for references in music because. I think film is like a as a is a much more explicitly referential uh format, right? Like totally. great great film directors intentionally reference great film directors, artists that were pivotal to their development, whatever. So like it's kind of changed my opinion of how bands utilize other bands' music. And obviously there's a line, like, you know, like there's a line between uh appreciating something and replicating it and just ripping it off. And I think that like mm-hmm. it's like art, you know it when you hear it, but I think that growing up like aggressively anti-mainstream culture or whatever like being a punk you just like you crave originality at the expense of all other things wouldn't that's not really the reality of how creating anything artistic works right like everything builds off something else yeah that's a great that's that's definitely a great way to frame it one one absolutely absolutely random tangent <laughs> yeah that's what we're here for uh but yeah that same year we also did the split with make doing men so we recorded the music to both of those sure. in the same session i did i don't remember if dewey recorded my vocals i think he did and then yeah did the vocals with you in new york mm-hmm. uh as mentioned before i just infiltrated your recording session and was like yeah let's do this i mean honestly <laughs> fuck it <laughs> yeah. i don't i don't think it, it like occurred to me as being strange in the moment right like did you feel weird about retrospect, it i felt weird because um what's steve's brother joe 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 wore it on his face and he was like why are we doing this <laughs> and i'd never met joe before uh joe is steve padula from thursday's brother who was an engineer on it we can yeah so uh, engineer uh, i would say engineer and, and producer. producer well maybe not yeah. on the on the split but on our record for sure when we sure, did wildlife yeah. he's like pretty hands-on but anyway yeah 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 yeah. so it's like when doing the parts that you were involved with i could see he was like okay that's fine whatever but then it was like all right let's track the song that's just me i could tell i was just like what are you fucking doing um <laughs> but anyway we got through it i can't imagine that i was there longer than an hour it was like yeah, sh- I, I would say an hour i mean i, mean, I remember uh, cause I, I wanted to have a more definite part for you on our second song and didn't end up having it. Cause I think we were just in the throes of putting together wildlife. Totally. Uh, and I, re- I regret that, but that would have been a whole another half a day for me to, <laughs> to sit there and write a part <laughs> in which Joe probably a, a blood vessel might've burst on his forehead. If he and was in honest, fact irritated, <laughs> which I don't remember. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I was just, I mean, I was anxious just because I like, 
a we're about to record something so like you know i've and we've never really done it before all those sorts of things and then like you know i I don't know i just i i I was probably just nervous in general but um yeah the uh the experience was cool and i mean the vocals on that sound great and also when it comes to um you know not doing much on your second song i think the way that we've been doing it together live these last ton of years almost kind of makes that more impactful yeah because you you see it and you're like you expect me to just do that last part but then you invited me to do the second half of the whole sort of bridge outro sorts of thing and it makes that Um, that that ending more impactful because it 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 boosts it to a to an additional level i think than it than it is on the record so it makes the live experience that yeah that more effective yeah which i absolutely still have such a fucking blast doing those songs despite the fact that the last time i did them with you was (laughs) in seattle (laughs) and i i walked off stage and i i remember uh singer from scowl cat is it cat cat yeah uh like immediately walking up to me and being like that was so sick and i i could not respond because i was gasping for my next breath because it was the first time i'd been on stage in three years since our tour in november 2019 or whatever so i just remember just like i and i think like i was just so fucking turned up just like so amped to be performing for the first time in so long and to be on stage and yeah dude we, we i started my vocal part came in on that first track and i was like oh no oh no i am done which makes me feel like i should be running three miles every day before i go on tour but still so much fun is the point of yeah. that like i still have such Cause a you because a lot of speed still hasn't played no right oh no oh not, man we haven't played a show when so. does your tour start middle of september okay so oh, you've got time uh, i'm gonna be hitting that hitting that yeah <laughs> hitting and that you're exercise a, bike yeah and you're a peloton daddy too so <laughs> yeah i to... mean that thing that thing really really helped me before uh we started playing shows yeah, like it, it was yeah, it was like just around just a few months, I think, before we did our first our first show back was at Furnace Fest. Okay. Uh whatever. Last year. Last year. Yeah, I think. Um <laughs> God. <laughs> Time. Uh and that day was like the most frazzled. Sure. I think our entire band has ever been. Where like uh our our tour manager merch guy uh got COVID the day before, so he couldn't fly out and meet us. No, I didn't know that. And so we immediately, it was, we were very humbled to realize how, uh, we desperately need an extra hand for help. (laughs) So like, for instance, we're in the middle of this fucking field, like, uh, like pulling in, unloading our merch, trying to like separate stuff. You know, it's like the first day of tour and it's at a festival. So like our merch is not organized at all. So we're like trying to pull sizes, do all that sort of stuff. Um, we realized that we, our square reader doesn't have the charger it's just like it's just shit like that that was just so like every aspect was just a fucking nightmare and then like um the woman who was kind enough to do merch for us uh she she she's an older lady that that someone um recommended for us and she was totally great yeah uh but when we couldn't get the square thing to work we were like we ended up having to use her cell phone which oh no i swear to i swear to god jordan she had every app ever invented <laughs> on her phone i when i picked up her phone to like put in our information it felt heavy because of the amount of <laughs> additional app additional app like like 
I like you know when you could scroll through like you hit right and or like or swipe oh. swipe left. I mean, and then it's like all you see all the different apps you can have in your phone. It was just it was like the Bible. It was just it just kept going. <laughs> it just kept going trying to find where I just downloaded this thing. It was crazy. Anyway, we got through it, and it was and but then I will say like when we got on stage, <clears throat> that same feeling where I was like, oh boy, like let's see how this goes, and then. You know, I did. I was fearful almost that I like, would I still like this? Do I still, yeah. does this still feel good? And just like almost immediately, I was like, yeah, this is still there. I, good, good. I enjoy this. But I was with, I'm with you though. I was so gassed sure. after like the second block because you're just, well, it's not just, it's all built up. Totally. It's not just like, it's just not like, I don't know. It's not, it's so it's so so much of it to me at least is is muscle memory and and so much of it is like i don't know whatever breathing is a subconscious act you you do it uh yeah because your body requires you to do it and you think nothing of it and i sort of feel that way having played shows for so long especially songs that we've had forever where just like every breath every inhalation exhalation every every step on stage is like sort of uh, practiced uh, at least subconsciously. So I don't even think about it. And then, and then it takes, it takes a minute to get back into that. No matter how much you prepare, like no matter how much you run, do cardio, whatever, trying to like position your body for six weeks of abuse. It's not really until you get on stage and start to do it. Even rehearsing isn't the same, like, cause you really have to like balance your energy, your excitement, the adrenaline you feel being in front of an audience. Like you have to learn to like not fucking go 110% out the gate and just completely annihilate yourself for the rest of a show. It's like very, uh, yeah, it's very rehearsed. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's funny. When I had Jeff on, Jeff Rickley, he was saying that he purposely, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but he always starts a set in a jacket and I'm always just like, what are Mm. you doing? He does that so he so he doesn't go super hard right when they start. It's like his oh, way whoa. of checking himself to be like, "Holy do shit, do not do not do this because it, you're gonna feel terrible." So like, if I put on this jacket, it reminds me not to do that. Dude, that's but, wild and brilliant. I'm gonna start doing yeah. that. Yeah, I'm gonna walk on stage see you in Jeff's in leather jacket, <laughs> Jeff's pico, <laughs> <laughs> just immediately wet with sweat. Dude, that's exactly. crazy. Uh, shit. So you did what? Five, five splits total. Because make do and mend us. Make do and mend pianos. Uh, self defense. Pianos. Self defense. Casket lottery. Title fight. Oh shit! Title fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no one can see the look on your face right now, but it's it's painting a very <laughs> <laughs> it's painting a picture. Uh? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, you did, the last you did. one was. The self-defense one, which was really fun to do. Yeah, that's a um, that's a sick record. Seeing you play those songs at the one thousand show at the one thousand right? show was was really rad. Yeah, um, yeah, that's awesome. I hope this is just a, a re- closing up the seven inch conversation. Uh, I feel like seven inches were such a big thing for you and I falling in love with music too. I mean, like I think about the Hot Water Music Alkaline Trio split a lot and listen to it and i like feel proud to have uh, participated in that canon especially considering they're less popular now and might at some point be even less popular than they are now just by virtue of the transition to digital not that they're gonna go the way the dinosaur sure I think, but but uh um yeah and that 
uh that release um and here i am sounding like an asshole that was a 12 inch but i will hmm. say it's a it's an evil 12 inch because it's a picture disc <laughs> oh it's yeah a picture disc <laughs> so it might as it might as well be a seven inch because I, that can fuck right off it's my least favorite format of all time <laughs> picture disc uh, i totally forgot dude, you're absolutely right what dude dude but uh but i will i mean there's a casca lottery hot water music split mm-hmm. and that's fantastic so good yeah um but uh, but yeah, no, I'm with you there. You know, when randomly when I do like questionnaires, like, you know, ask me questions, stuff and people want to talk about records, they uh, people always ask like favorite split seven inches. And it's so hard because sure. there's especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, there are so many good ones. I mean, the fact that there is a converge coalesce split is that wild. there's a botch cave in split. You're just like, totally. Come on. What's the it's pig crazy. destroyer one? There's a pig destroyer with there's orchid. Like, Oh yeah, dude. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking bonkers to me. Yeah, and so cool. It's, it's insane. Um, but a lot of those, absolutely. a lot of those came from that. Like, I, I feel like that, like uh, DIY, making friends, networking, ethos. The same reason that we ended up putting out a split. It's just like, yeah, you know, just like you're playing shows with people you you just met and are immediately best friends with because touring and having similar interests really accelerates friendships i think so it's just like everyone's just fucking excited to participate and to like put as much out as they possibly can which is a really special feeling yeah one thousand percent and i think uh uh, i'm gonna transition now but but uh, to speaking uh going back a bit to parting the sea and that that year 2011 the year you guys did parting the sea we did wildlife there was a defeater record pianos lack long after came out in 2011 and it was Mm -hmm. kind of uh, to me like a a pinnacle of that period of time in my life and i imagine yours as well where where we were just like all very caught up in the excitement that compelled us to put out split records was just like so passionate and excited about doing new things and making friends and playing shows and the energy uh was, there was uh, balance of composure also did separation that separation year Separation came out that year um, fuck uh title fight title uh, fight floral green they came had, out that record right floral, shed, shed came out floral green was yeah times a construct it's, it's a cr- it's a crazy year it's a it's a year that i think all of us hold very near and dear because we were all coming up at the exact same time um this was talked about i think on maybe a different episode or i or maybe it was just with a friend in person recently but like when we reflect back on the, the when the first part of the sea tour was with title fight and they were touring on the release of shed we were touring on the release of parting the sea the the menzingers were also on it and then it's i remember talking to merrick who's our booking agent and merrick being like you realize those shows were like not sold out right that's and I'm just like, bonkers to me and we were playing like now that's class we were playing sure. um chain reaction we were playing you know pretty small rooms smallish pretty rooms. small rooms yeah smallest rooms so like th- i remember there was a few shows that were sold out on that tour um but like the chain shows i think were maybe new york or something but it's just crazy to hear that because in my mind i was like all those shows were totally packed because in my you totally. know it weird that was the we we're playing to the most amount of people ever at that point for us mm-hmm. so like it was such a trip to hear that just being like, yeah, that tour was like, it did well, but like, it wasn't a touche blown out. Like, title yeah. fight Menzingers tour. Imagine that tour now. It's I crazy. Mean, title fight would be at the fucking garden. Just yeah. Maybe not I quite mean, that, but it would be huge. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah. I, I sort of have the same recollection because we did the wildlife tour we did was with the feeder. Uh, and oh, right. Former thieves. 
um, and in, in my mind, and I, and I think we were playing similar size rooms, but in my mind, those are like, I think back to the energy of those shows and they feel enormous in a way that if I were able to watch them now is probably not exactly accurate as far as attendance goes anyways. But it was like, I don't know, we were all very caught up in a, in yeah. a, in a particular we also had no frame of reference for what True. was big. So <laughs> yeah, that it was like sort of coming out the heels of us like doing strictly DIY tours and then doing yeah. like first to three slots on the first, you know, real non-DIY tours that our bands did. So like to go from that to our headlining shows and playing a 400 cap venue with 350 people would be like absolutely massive. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And after that... uh is survived by which i feel like when i listen to that record feels like a very direct response to the era that preceded it to me and and maybe correct me if i'm wrong but like that record is very it uh, it speaks to me as a as the lyricist in a band obviously and in a band that makes similar i think emotional connections to the people who who listen to it um but it just sort of it's a record that feels like a direct response to the sudden burden of having a platform and of connecting with people emotionally. Yeah, that's, a, that's certainly in it. Um, I found myself, uh, in a happy place. Um, like I felt very like comfortable in my own skin during that period. And <laughs> it like worked against me where I had like terrible writer's block, like the worst writer's block that I've ever had. Um, so it's like, I wrote songs about having writer's block. Like yeah. I wrote, um, you know, I was kind of just gravitating towards anything. And for me personally, I I'm always so excited and so flattered when someone tells me that's their favorite record. You know, there's certainly that, that percentage of people that, that, that was their first time hearing a record from us. Like there's people mm -hmm. that was their gateway record, all that sorts of stuff. Um, and I'm so flattered by that. Um, I hear when I hear that record back, I hear myself um, not being sure of myself in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, it was a it, like it made me realize I can never write in the studio. Are you a write in the studio guy ever these days? I mean, you are. No, you are, I mean, right? I not not by design. <laughs> I try not to. Uh, yeah, I generally end up writing some in the studio because I have a difficult time finishing on time because I also. Yeah struggle with with writer's box so um, yeah yeah it's hard it was, writing the suit is hard yeah it really is but um the things that i cherish about that record is that was our first time working with brad wood who would go on to also do stage four mm -hmm. and brad wood is someone that we respect so much and love so much and and his discography means so much to us like ranging from sunny day real estate records he did the first two sunny day records he did uh he did um catch for us the foxes and uh brother sister, sister. from me without you yeah. he did tin cans with strings to you from far he did uh a lot of great like 90s alt records like veruca salt and that dog oh shit i didn't know um, that yeah 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 um he's done records for like he got he did half of a door from smashing pumpkins um there's there's yeah, it's just like this, when I go through like the stuff that he's done. He's done coding records. Um, oh shit, that's cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah, he. That's a I'm wide range. Sure. Yeah, I think he did the White Birch. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he was a Chicago guy, so it's a lot of that cool Chicago. He was he was based out of there for a while, and then moved to L.A. 
And uh, so that was also, you know, it was nice going from the Kansas experiment experience of like rushing a record in five days to being like, oh, we can just sleep in our own beds mm-hmm. and drive 15 minutes to this guy's place um, in the valley and work on it, you know, for 10 hours a day and come home. And uh, it was a really, really cool experience. And he was so great to work with. So that like, you know, made us want to go back to him for stage four, especially because you know, our relationship with him was strong. And also the context of stage four, um, having Brad be behind the board for it was important because he had met my mom and like they have had, they had had conversations before when like they were both out to see us play. Um, So I think like the fact that he in some way was connected like like on that level too he had some sense you know? of your, your yeah. the closeness of your relationship with your mom and and could, totally and could like be a, maybe a bit more invested in it having met her exactly and, and like, knowing 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 you guys from the previous experience i'm sure exactly like it was the thing where it felt like a for me it felt like a mulligan where i was like okay all of the things that i felt went wrong like there's a also i mean like for instance i retract the all of the vocals for a survive by a second time because i had this really stupid thought of like you know probably because of what we were talking about with parting the sea where i was like i don't feel like it really sounds like me because i was in hell like you know what i'm saying like my, my voice or whatever so i was like i feel like i just don't sound the same live as i do on recording which is like such a stupid thing to worry about but so we recorded the whole record with like an SM58, me holding it in that. my hand. Mm-hmm. And in the in the moment, I was having a great time. Like right. I was like, this this feels cool. And uh, then when we started getting mixes, I was like, the clarity is just not there. Like right. what you and I were talking about, the importance of like enunciating say. and like being able to understand everything I'm saying. I'm like, that clarity is lost. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had sent... Uh, a mix to Trey at Deathwish because at this point we were working with Deathwish and so or we were still working with Deathwish and um Trey responded to um me asking about my vocals in a way that just solidified all my nightmares where I was like I'm a little concerned that I'm not able to to like make out everything I'm saying and Trey responded with so does that mean we can talk about your vocals <laughs> <laughs> trade and when he said hella frank just like laying it out there doors open i'm walking through it (laughs) exactly so when he said that i was like okay and then i hit up brad and then brad being such a sweet guy like he he felt like he was responsible for it because he was like i i suggested we do this you know kind of a thing and 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 i was like dude no this was this was because i explain to you how i was feeling you know whatever whatever it is so like he felt bad because he and he sort of put the blame on himself and i was like do not ever do but that. he was that doing is... exactly what he's meant to do as a producer exactly. as an engineer is to find a way to make to get the best out of you yes um so yeah we <laughs> and then back feeling right back in the part in the seat. seat i think i retract all the vocals for a survive by in like two days which <laughs> <Nice>. was <laughs> Which truly, was truly captured the authenticity yeah. of the previous release, but that's fucking but, wild that he was amenable to to retracking everything. That's a lot of work. It really is, and he was like, "Fuck it, let's go. Like, let's let's get this done." And then when I heard myself back through like the correct kind of microphone, I was like, "Okay, there it is. Oh, like, dude, that's yeah. how that's how I'm supposed to sound." <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, 
making that record was really fun uh overall and the release of it was exciting um and i love the layout of it it's one of my it's one of my favorite covers that that we have like album covers um i think it's just the the blue in it just yeah. really really makes it kind of shine um yeah it looks like know, the record I, feels if i mean yeah. that's like maybe like too corny of a of a statement but i think that's no, very think true right. of that record i think that it sort of stands out in a certain sense to me it feels very like yeah i don't know it, feel, it feels it feels like the record looks and the few songs on it that i really really like you know that we that we play relatively often i i'm very proud of like i think the song is survived by the last track on it um it's one of my top five favorite touche songs because it really does encapsulate like everything we do as a band Mm -hmm. and at that point we learned how to do it well all in one track like it has all of the all of our little tricks are on display in that song yeah you know this podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. I love that song. I love that record, honestly. Uh, I don't know if it if it's where it where it would rank in your own uh in your own head just yeah that's kind of what i figured that that but but i but i and i remember hearing the record and and loving it immediately but not in the same way that i did dead horse or parting the sea it took me sure uh, i think it took honestly for me because it felt relatable in how it talked about writer's block and how it talked about you know, just the fucking, I mean, that line, it's hard to write content, but, but just the subject matter in general, because I think maybe it felt close. It took me a bit to go back to it and like really connect. Yeah. And I remember going for a bike ride back before I moved uh, away from Grand Rapids and putting that record on just cause I was like, oh fuck, I haven't listened to this record nearly as much as the other Touche records. And, and just like having a moment of like a sort of revelatory moment where it clicked for me. Oh, and I love, awesome. and I love that record still. Um, and I, it's the only one of your records that I do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would love it. I'd love that it's, twist. It's not your favorite record, but it's the only one yeah. I don't fucking hate. No, I love, I love yeah. that record. I think it's, I think it's a special record. I think it, yeah, I don't know. And, and maybe it's just, and that's, that's the beauty of music, right? Is like everything speaks to, to people differently and you, you, you grasp onto different things at different times in your life. So is, is this, uh, an awkward question to ask you if, if you don't want to answer it we could just move on or we could cut this out but is it are you able to rank 
lot of speed records like off the top of your head you don't have to give me large reasons for it but like do you have a favorite do you have a least favorite it's really hard um because it's it's difficult to dissociate from the the experience of writing something making something yeah. everything else that surrounds it too like it's the, my, my brain goes immediately to wildlife i'm proud of that record as a writer i'm proud of that record as a band i think it represents a very unique period of time in our lives when we were able to like just fully fully commit to it because it's all we did yeah um and then and then all the all the the good memories around playing shows and touring and our friendship together and pianos and like that's just like an exciting era but yeah. like there are other th parts of other records that I, you know, do I think it's the best record we've ever written? Probably not. We were still learning our craft. So like, yeah, it, it's difficult. I, I always see those stereo gum articles or the, the Dan Ozzy articles. I think it's Dan who does those, the, the like rank your discography. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan does those. He's, and I like he's love, done them for a few. Yeah. I love how frank some people are and they're like, just, oh, I fucking hate that record or whatever. Yeah. And I don't really have. I mean, the only one that I would just like immediately put on the bottom is the first one, the first LP somewhere. And it's not that I don't love it. It's just like, it's the one where I listened to the most and I can tell we were in our early 20s. And like, yeah. there's things that I would like definitely change and lines that I regret in a way that I don't about most other releases. So sure. Do you when feel like you can go ahead? <laughs> What's to say when we re-recorded Dead Horse, I was yeah. like, "Time to fix some grammar, baby." Totally. <laughs> well, we 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 and we did that. I mean, we didn't we didn't re-record, but but we yeah, remixed and remastered, remastered the remastered. whole record because we just didn't like the way that it sounded, and we didn't know any better at the time. It was just like so, so obviously a time capsule of that era. There's like gang vocals, and like it sounds yeah, hella automated and digitized, and it just doesn't sound like us. And we went from that to wildlife where there's no artificial reverb on anything so it's just like i remember you putting that in the liner notes which i thought was yeah like like the most snooty but the pretentious. most pretentious <laughs> yeah it's so good um no i feel that i i completely feel that um i feel like you I have i feel like you can rank yours can you rank yours do you you don't have to but well i did for for i did one of those for dan ozzy and did to you? be honest i, I kind of forgot what I ordered <laughs> um let's see let's see if i can oh here we go so the order i did let's see if i still feel that today um i did oh because uh well what's funny is he he the the caveat was that i couldn't include lament because this was in, in support recent. of lament um so i've survived by I'll, I'll put that at number five to the dead horse and number four. Um, I would do, yeah, I would still probably do part of the scene number three, and then I would probably do lament and then stage four. Okay. Um, and the reason I would do that is just because, um, of the overall sort of, you know, importance of stage four for me personally, as like sure. just a healing mechanism, you know what I'm saying? And like, uh, there was just such a such a weight that I was finally getting off of me, and I was really proud of those songs. I still am really proud of those songs. Like I can listen to that record and still get psyched on some of the deeper tracks that we never really played live. Sure, you know, yeah. Like I kind of think the second half of that record is honestly it's got some of my favorite songs. Like there's a song called "Posing Holy," Dude, a song I'll, called "Softer Spoken." Steal like, my fucking thunder from the the. the, the well, the I mean, this, I guess. This is, 
this is a good this is a good segue then then i guess but it's like having lament is number two it's like i can almost kind of put those both at number yeah one if i yeah. you know if i if i was able to um because the entire experience of doing lament with ross robinson was like the coolest I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. I do want. I do want to talk, and we don't have to go deep on it because I think it's probably the record that you've gone the deepest on. But, uh, (laughs) but I I mean, if I were going to rank your records, I think it's. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say comfortable. I think I would rank them exactly the same way that that you did. And and stage four, I think is. Man, I think I think stage four is an, an an unbelievable piece of art and an unbelievable testament to art's ability to help cope with with grief, with tragedy, with loss, with processing emotions, with coming out, uh, I don't know, not a bigger and better person, but like coming out more resilient. And, and, uh, I, I, I hold that close, that record really close to my heart. Even, even having not experienced that loss to this day in my life, I I think it's just, and, and I'm sure I would too, without the connection that I have to you without, you know, staying in your mom's house when we first came on tour and everything like that. But it's just like a, a really special, a special record. I don't have a I question for that, you, yeah. but like, I no, remember, no, no, I remember I... listening to it in LA after, I don't remember what fucking show it was, but we were in LA and I, I think that you, do you remember this? You were oh, driving think... around. Yes. You were on tour thrice and I thrice. picked you up and we drove around and listened to it you were the only other you and patrick kinlan were the first were the only people cool. i played it for that were like outside of my immediate world sure sure you know yeah yeah and um, i did it was such a cool experience for me being your friend getting access to something deeply personal before it was you know introduced into the public forum but also just listening to it in that way just like driving around la at night felt like the actual perfect way to hear a touche record i guess oh it's awesome <laughs> i love that it's uh yeah i I feel like it's it also i I apologize if that puts you if that at all put you in a weird space too where you're like hey you want to listen to 45 minutes or 40 <laughs> minutes of the most devastating shit you've ever heard while the person's sitting you know six inches from you let's go <laughs> um no yeah. man it, i think that like you know, obviously it's something that I value as well. Just like the, our, sure. our band has always been sort of about processing difficult questions or raising difficult questions and having conversations about life. And I think that, uh, I don't, well, this is a tangent. I don't consider our band to be an emo band. I don't think you consider your band necessarily to be an emo band either, but I feel like we, bands that write emotional songs get written off as being juvenile. And I think it's pretty absurd given the difficult and complicated nature of existing on a daily basis that mm-hmm. that we're eschewing art that approaches profound conversations about purpose and about uh or or the lack of it so so i think that like i, I know i know i'm not alone in saying that that record's meant a lot to me um appreciate that i do and I'm mostly just talking about my experience, <laughs> not asking you about yours. And this is not a podcast about me. Uh, <laughs> You're the guest host. It is. It is. It's half about you. <laughs> it's the whole point of us talking. This is just. I'm just. I'm just feeding the base red meat. You know Dude. what I'm saying? <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I don't know. Do you? Do you still? You. So I'm. I'm happy to hear that you still love the record. Like, do you? Do you still? 
Yeah, I really do. You know, it's you know, when we make set lists, I, you know, I look at them and I'm like, wow, we're, you know, we're still playing quite a lot off this record. And, you know, it's, it, but it's satisfying. It's like, um, and that record hit people that never fucked with us before in a way, which was really exciting. Like it turned on a lot of older people that never, hmm. <laughs> never gave us a shot because for an older generation, that's a subject that they relate to as opposed to a super young generation that probably hasn't gone through an experience like that. Sure, um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, famously, Pat Kinlan um, looked me looked at me when I was showing him the songs and he goes, you're alienating all of your young fans with this one <laughs> and, yeah uh, yeah and i was i i never thought about it that way but i was like i i don't think i care because this isn't this isn't for them this it's not is, yeah yeah this is for me so um but yeah it was uh it hit people in a way and now that's like you know our most popular record which is kind of crazy to think about you know um pretty wild yeah yeah i, th- I think i just went and saw uh well, months ago, that Gaspar Noe movie Vortex about I, don't I haven't seen it yet, dude. Gnarly, so gnarly, so so gnarly. Yeah. Uh, just just devastating, and it's about you know aging and death, and um, not a one to one correlation, obviously. But I I remember watching the movie in the theater, and there were people who were kind of laughing at certain things, which in the moment I'm just like, what what is what about mm-hmm. this do you find funny? And I talked to a friend of mine who's like a film studies nerd and he posited the theory that the more homogenized culture becomes, and this is like the Scorsese Marvel conversation a little bit, but uh, the the less we like deal with difficult things in our art, the less equipped we are to process them when they happen. And there's a Gaspar Noe quote, or I heard him on the film at Lincoln Center podcast something whatever talking about how like that's that's like exact it's the last thing that anybody wants to talk about because they know it's inevitable because everybody's going to lose a parent everybody's going to age themselves and die and uh I think we we do ourselves a, a powerful disservice not not considering that inevitability earlier, not making preparation, not thinking more about death as an active part of our lives because it's the only thing universal. Yeah. So yeah, no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Uh, Also, you know, you come to find that some of the most inappropriate moments or uncomfortable moments, not inappropriate, but uncomfortable moments, a human reaction is to just laugh. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it could be those people not being equipped to understand how to take in something so heavy. Totally. So they just, that's the reaction. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It, I went from, I went from being mad about it to being like, Oh no, that makes sense. Like you're that's. Yeah. It's an awkward thing to hear though. In the moment, let me tell you also <laughs> si- si- sidestep real quick. I noticed on your letterbox, sorry that you no. have climax as one of your favorite. Films. I love that. I was movie. like, I was like, my friend is sick. My sick. friend is I'm sick. A f- fucking freak. I love things that make me feel deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw that. I saw that movie by myself at like 11 o'clock at night. And um, there was like six other depraved assholes in there with me. Uh-huh. And by the end of it, there was two of us because I, I kept watching people get up and walk oh, out straight looking, up leaving. Like they, looking like they were going to vomit, which was awesome i mean yeah dude that's great i think that that that's what i love about gaspar noe generally speaking is like even irreversible which is a particularly difficult one for a lot of people to watch and yeah uh, 
content warning, nine minute uh, scene depicting sexual assault. It's hard yeah. to watch, but like, I, I love how expertly he makes you feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable from the way the camera's used to the subject matter. It's just like, I'm not surprised people were walking out of climax. Yeah, tough, tough hang, but definitely pretty, tough pretty hang. Fucking impressive movie. Yeah. I mean, just it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Uh, we one one day we'll do a movie podcast. Um, oh, I I have one. I've had the best movie podcast in my brain, ready to go. But I've just been such a coward because I have. I feel like I'm overwhelmed with this all the time. But you got a lot going on. But if you ever do it, I want to be a recurring call-in guest. Yes, yes, one thousand percent. I'm going to tell. I'm. I'm going to pitch it to you when we when we wrap up. I'm going to pitch it to you. You let me know what you think. Perfect. Perfect. Um. Yeah, I guess that I don't know. That brings us to lament. That's the the last uh, the last two Shane Mori release. And yeah, uh, I I was gonna. I'm gonna transition to this via Ed Rose and Brad Wood because you've always picked uh, people to work with that you had a connection to musically that like were part of your own musical journey. And I imagine making the the jump to Ross Robinson was similar. Yeah, I mean, go back to the start of this conversation when I talked about corn. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like corn being the the. It's funny to say it. You know, it sounds a little funny, but like corn being, um, you know the life raft for my musical journey at that point, you know, I felt like I had lost everything when Kurt passed. And then all of a sudden there was, uh, you know, this, uh, this dreaded, um, flotation device out in the ocean (laughs) grabbing me. And, um, and I became so obsessed. And then, uh, I feel like, cause I interviewed Ross on the show very early on. And I think we talk about it maybe, but I think what attracted me without realizing it at the time to corn was the vulnerability mm-hmm. in it. And I think that that continued to be a theme in the music that I enjoyed the most, like not everything, obviously there's a lot of stuff that has no vulnerability that I enjoy. <laughs> um, but, but uh, I think the things that throughout my life I connected to the most were those things, whether it was, you know, uh corn whether it was uh you know thursday glass jaw any of those sorts of things um and then of course when i discovered screamo music like i mean you hear satia and you're like the ultimate vulnerability yeah ultimate yeah 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 um the sound of a voice cracking Mm -hmm. imperfect takes fuck ups all of that sort of stuff is what always uh gets me the most amped when i'm listening to something um so when the opportunity to work with ross presented itself i was simultaneously terrified but so excited because he's just such a legend we met him funny enough he doesn't remember this but we met him super briefly in the weirdest most uncomfortable situation years before when he was still recording out of his place uh, on the West side where we had one, I think it was for, it would have been for a survive by, but we had one like best international release um, out of Spain Mm. and for like this big Spain magazine called rock zone, I want to say. And then I feel like I've seen the band. Yeah. And the band from Spain, the one best record uh, was recording with Ross. Okay. So they're called Barry to rock. And it was like, hey, 
since they're in LA, let's do a joint photo shoot together of both bands together. And mm. we're like, okay. So we're like, let's and like, they're recording at Ross Robinson's place. We're like, okay. So it's like, Hey, do you want to drive to go to take photos with this band? You've never met before. <laughs> it's so um, weird. At Ross Robinson's studio, we we're just like, this is gonna be fucking crazy. I remember the photographer showed up and was like, kind of like, all right, so uh, so guys, why don't we get together? And then they're like, so you two know each other, right? We're like, no, we've we've literally never met. This is so weird. <laughs> um, which is funny in retrospect because we got along so well that the the that we we're I was goofing around with the singer of the band and uh, when they were taking photos, and I pinched his nipple. <laughs> and uh he laughed really hard and of course that's the photo that's that, the take the that's very the cover authentic of the nipple magazine. pinch laugh yeah it's, are you it's actively pinch- pinching the nipple in the photo actively is... pinching his nipple yeah incredible yeah. and he's laughing really hard it's a very <laughs> sweet photo and we're it still friends like... like we're still pals you know Good. uh a friendship was formed but it was an important thing because we met ross really briefly he was high energy you know did, we didn't like talk talk but like he gave us a tour of the studio um and uh, I think he just talked about monster energy drinks for like a few <laughs> minutes or something. Um, I forget what happened, but but uh, but I remember talking to the singer of Barry Tarak and asking him about how the process was. And he was telling me like how intense doing yeah. vocals are with Ross and how he makes you read the lyrics to everybody and like go through that and like, you know it's it's a very intense thing and i remember talking to liam from cancer bats because they had also done a record with ross and he told me uh a pretty intense story where it was like he was reading the lyrics aloud and then ross said well what does that line mean and liam was honest and was like oh you know i'll be i'll be honest i just needed a line to rhyme it doesn't really mean much and ross was like cool rewrite it so like the hearing those stories i was like oh fuck this is gonna be so gnarly this is gonna be so gnarly but um clayton recently we did like a q a at um the last bookstore here in la for our art book that we put out oh, and yeah. Yeah. um i think clayton framed it really well where he was like we're so lucky that we went to him for our fifth record and not like our second record sure because we wouldn't have been equipped to deal with the how hands-on he is like we would still have that young punk mindset of like these are fucking these are our songs bro like like i don't want to be told what to do (laughs) but going to ross at a time where like we were craving that sort of like you know outside outside uh interpretation of what our songs could be um the really hands-on approach like all of that stuff and and it just made for the best experience you know cool yeah uh yeah no I, I i feel that that speaks really clearly to me just like when you're young and you're making songs you have uh the idea that there's no one who can c- help you accomplish them better than yourselves as you have a very like hammered in diy mindset which i think is perfect for that era in creating music right like you yeah that, that rawness comes through and and is like sort of timeless but then at a certain point being able to make that decision, being able to be vulnerable enough with yourself to accept help is like a difficult place to get to, but a really rewarding one. And and that record's vulnerable in a way, I think that that, that stage four, in, in a different way than stage four, it feels more nuanced. It, sometimes I think for me, at least it's easier for me to talk about like the really difficult, really obvious uh, th- things than it is for me to talk about 
the what comes after the the the, like the processing the growing from it whatever and and to me i'm i'm you can speak to it if you want but lament feels like the third part of a of a trilogy to me where on is survived by you're talking about kind of your own legacy and like in a weird way a weird backhanded way talking about the end of things and then stage four obviously being explicitly about loss and then getting to lament where you're talking about that feels like something that that ross being able to push you to be vulnerable would be extremely helpful yeah and that's a cool way to to, to frame it for sure uh i would <laughs> i would almost go as far as to say it's survived by as me being like life's great fucking <laughs> what do I got to complain about? And then life being like, how about how about I take your mother out and uh, give you some, give you give you something to write about? Sure. And, uh, and then lament is like is the uh, now that you've had some years away from it, um, this is me reflecting on what I've learned from those experiences and what my life is now. Um, and it was really, and also an appreciation too, because there's like me taking stabs at like you know, trying to write love songs on it too, which is, I remember talking to Brendan from Turnstile. Um, when was that? They were, they played with Turnover at the L Ray. I forget what year it was, but I was telling him because we were writing the record. He's like, what's it going to, what's the deal with it? And I was yeah. like, I think I'm trying to write a love record. And he was like, I love that. You should do that. But I'm like, it's fucking really hard to write those kind of words over aggressive music. It sounds silly to be like screaming your head off. Sure in this aggressive seeming way about something that's like positive, but you know, I found my footing in it. So that's how you get limelight and you get like come heroin, like those mm -hmm. songs. But, um, yeah, you're a love songs. I mean, what, what <laughs> right. more, what more timeless subject for, for a song than. Yeah. Than yeah. I agree. Love, truly. Um, but yeah, no, it was a, it was such a great experience. Um, if, and when, you know, it comes time for us to do the next one. Um, we're almost certainly going to go, go back to Ross. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's an awesome to go from being like kind of intimidated about the stories you heard to like going, being put through the ringer by it and then coming out on the other end, being able to appreciate how it affected the end product. Cause you got stories He's... too. I know you do. Oh yeah. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've, I've told a few, but like he's, I mean, he is just like a very compassionate person. And also I really like that. Um, if he suggests something that you're not feeling, you have to sort of um, put together almost a presentation to why hmm. his idea was bad <laughs> and yeah. sell and sell him on it. <laughs> sure. And then when I, and it's funny because I genuinely, I've never talked to him about this, but I genuinely think that when he's being given the presentation and I'm saying that jokingly, I don't have, you're to not actually like PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I'm, but it's in front of the band. And the band seems to be going like the like the other band members could be going either way on it. You know, they like they maybe they're open to the idea. Maybe they're wanting to hear my side of it, whatever. So as I'm giving the presentation. I don't think he's actually listening to what I'm saying. I think he's listening to how 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 uh, passionate I'm being about mm. how I feel about it. Well, yeah. And that's what I think makes him decide like, OK, fuck it. Let's just let's scrap it. Right. All good. Because that's you know that's what, what he's looking for. He's looking for. He's looking for How? your level of commitment to it. And when exactly. Liam when Liam says, "I don't know," I just wanted that song to rhyme. It doesn't necessarily. He could have said anything, but if if yeah. if Ross is not like sensing the urgency or the the connection to it, then it's not worth tracking. 
Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. That's fucking cool. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. can see I think it would I think it would scare me. <laughs> I think I would have the same not- reaction where I'd be like, oh no, because there's still the part of me that goes, I don't know, maybe maybe like just not wanting to be challenged because you don't want to like truly think about that type I of thing. Would- I guess fucking love to hear a lot of speed record by ross <laughs> that would be so unbelievably sick i mean so unbelievably sick i'm not opposed to it I, to, my my thing is fucking the the relationship of command that at the driving record that so yes, like, dude. like ross was a legendary name in the brain of uh a kid who voraciously read the liner notes to every record right like i knew everything about every every person who worked on that record so ross was like a pretty looming figure for me when i was younger too so i was stoked when you guys did the record with him um and getting to be in a room with ross and then him you know retelling a story or like you could just be like yo ross tell me about this whatever like um you know hearing how iggy pop ended up on the record like hearing how like all of these little things that i'm just like so curious about um and uh yeah, he's he's just like super open to talk about any of that stuff. Um, also, the fact that um, Ross then hired Steve Evitz to mix our record, yeah. which like I'm a huge fucking Dude, Steve legendary, Evitz fan. Yeah, for sure. So like that was insane. And like, I don't know, this might be too in the uh, too inside baseball to share. I don't really care. But like, um, you know there's not a lot of money being thrown around these days for getting a record made. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like the days of like a record producer getting paid fucking $50,000. I mean, even $50,000 is not a lot of money for some of these producers. You know what I'm saying? Uh So like what Ross was, was paid to do our record is like incredibly humble. Um, like it's like, wow. Um, and he didn't give a shit. We did the whole record. He did the whole record to tape. He was renting the studio and out of his cut, paid Steve Evitz because he just wanted Steve Evitz to do it. Dude. And there was a point when I was like, dude, Ross, like, are you good? Like, is, are you, you know, like, is this Are you being adequately compensated yeah. for your work? Are you, are you, is there any benefit for you, like, in the yeah. long run? Like, I know you enjoy doing this, but like, is this okay? And he was like, I can live the rest of my life off the records I've been so lucky to have been a part of. Um. I just want to make cool shit and I don't care about anything else. Dude. He's like, I genuinely don't care. He was like, it doesn't matter. I just, all I care about is creating something real with people that I believe in. And that's the only thing that drives me. I'm like, that's damn, you're sick. Very fucking cool. (laughs) I mean, I just think that that, that's like such a, I don't know. People like that are a dying breed, not because they don't have it in them to be that way, but because the entire structure of the industry functions on squashing that behavior right like yeah it's just so hard to make money in the industry now it's so especially especially for fucking rock bands and especially for sub genres of rock band so somebody like that with a name with a profile uh sac leaving money on the fucking table just to to make a record that they're passionate about is is really encouraging yeah and it's like you know and that's not to say that record producers should do records pro bono or, no. or anything like that like like ross is in a is in a, a a very small percentile of producers who could who, can who, who can't afford to do something like that like um 
I've never met the guy and I'm fascinated by him and I think he's so sick, but it's like you would I, I would think it'd be surprising to hear that like Rick Rubin did something like that. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It could be wrong. It probably has. It could be wrong, know. but I don't know. But, it, but it's yeah, it's uh it was a really cool thing to hear and just yeah, he's a great guy. I, I cool. love Ross. That's he's, awesome. I I would yeah. like to to if not if we don't ever end up recording with Ross, I would at least like to meet Ross and say what's up. <laughs> Dude, hear some him fucking being around. wild stories. Oh my god! When Justice came to the studio to do a little background parts on Come Heroin, just yeah. listening to Ross Robinson and Justice have a conversation, I could have just taken a taken a warm bath in that. It I was, was going to say so funny. That is an elite tier combination of people it to have a conversation. So incredible! That's yeah. a podcast I'd listen to. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, I I meant to mention. Now we're through the discography. I meant to mention the record label. I didn't really get to that, but the. Secret Voice, yeah. Secret Voice, yeah. Which you've done since 2013, 12? I want to say 12, maybe. Fucking yeah. a decade. That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> a decade in like under 30 releases. Yeah, Either it says a, a lot. That's it's a less clip. is more, you know? Yeah, but it also it fits so squarely into your uh, fucking oeuvre. It's like, you know, like that, that, that to me is, again, a testament to your embrace of the culture and, and your uh your passion for for artists and art and uh can't imagine it's a particularly lucrative industry to be working in in this day and age but you've uh you've done a lot of fucking I mean, cool records yeah that's the thing it's like i appreciate that it, it's it's that i can my stamp of approval is is stamped as hard as possible on the things i was so lucky enough to put out right. you know the the label started because of single mothers um, they were uh, the local band on a show that we played in um, probably London, Ontario. Yeah, and I, re- I remember. I think you texted me after having seen that band dude, about yes. like punk hold steady because you knew I was a hold steady fan. Like, like not yes. long after. So like, yes. it left an immediate impact. Yes, I absolutely remember sending it to you because I knew that you were a hold steady guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was the funniest thing. Like they 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 played. And I was like setting up merch, you know, it was like an early ish show. So I was like setting up merch as they were playing. And I just like, I set up so slow because I was just like, I couldn't take my eyes off of this band. And I was like, this, this band is so fucking good. Yeah. And the singer is just so doing his like, um, but I heard the hold steady in him immediately. And then yeah. like after the show, I went up and I introduced myself and I was like, you hold steady fan. And he gave me this big smile and he goes, they're my favorite band. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's sick. And then, yeah, I got the demo and then um, my relationship with them started and uh, it was very funny. Um, I, I, they, they were a perfect first band to work with because they were, I, uh, they'll be the first to admit to it, uh, a complete and total disaster of a band. Sure. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> I remember once the record was like submitted to the, uh, <laughs> submitted to the pressing plant, Trey texted me and was like, hey, is this band broken up? And I was like... <laughs> i was like what do you mean and he goes well if you go to their facebook their last post which was last year says that they broke up and i was like (laughs) huh so then i hit him up i was like what's the story with this they're like oh yeah we broke up but like i think we're like we're gonna play shows once this comes out and i'm just like maybe something you should have relayed to me i don't know but yeah dude (laughs) that's 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 why their bio i don't know if it probably still isn't but it isn't anymore but for the longest time their like headline bio was uh Single Mothers broke up in 2011 and we've been playing shows ever since. <laughs> That's so good. 
but yeah, so that was like a huge, really hectic thing, but such a such a wild experience. And and like the the quick background story is that like around that time I had been sending Deathwish a lot of bands to check out. Yeah. Or giving them my my stamp of approval, being like, yo, this band's really good, this band's really good. And after they had signed quite a few of those at that point. Um, I had heard single mothers and I was like, I just, I had this like overwhelming need to want to be a part of it. Sure. Like, I don't want to just hand this off and it, and say like, this is great. You should work with this. I was like, I need to be a part of this. Yeah. Um. So then, yeah, I, you know, famously called Trey and said, Hey, can I have a subsidiary label? And he said, uh, I don't know. Let me ask Jake. And then, <laughs> then, and then put the phone kind of away from his mouth. And he goes, Hey, Jake, do you care if Jeremy has a subsidiary label? And then Jake from the background, I hear go, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so oh, that's how what an endorsement. Voice, yeah, that's how Secret Voice started. And uh, dude, I'd and, never heard that. That's fucking incredible. I'm obsessed. Yeah. With that. So, so he was like, All right, cool. We're good. So, um, sing- the single mothers was the first, and then was so lucky. Well, the second one was Hesitation Wounds, the first seven inch, which was for me, I was like, I, I, I didn't feel um, great making another label um, pay for that because it was like such a dumb idea of like, Hey, let's get um, three strangers that are not strangers to me, but like three people that maybe don't know each other that well or yeah. have maybe never met in a room and see how many songs we can write in one day and record them the next day. Like that's how that seven inch was. So that I didn't realize um, that either. That's that's amazing. Yeah. It's a great origin story. Yeah. I had met Jay because he was playing it against me at the time. Um now obviously in Slipknot. Mm -hmm. And then um I had met Scuba uh Steven, uh, who was in Trap Them um back in like two thousand seven or something, because Thriller played a house show with Trap Them, which is insane to think about, uh in like the Carolinas somewhere. Um that's rad. yeah, and Scuba was doing merch for them at the time. Okay. And he and I became friends, like internet friends or something. And so we stayed friends once he joined Trap Them and blah, blah, blah. I always really liked him. If you ever met Scuba, you know why. He's a hilarious person. Mm. Um, so I just was like, I'd love to be in a band with him. And then Niraj, um, I am fucking, you could tattoo Suicide File on my fucking face. I yeah, love the Suicide that, File so I know this, much. I know and, this about you. And I love the Hope Conspiracy so much. Um, two bands that are just perfect discographies. So uh, knowing that he lived in LA, met him over, you know, when we played shows with HopeCon yeah. uh, in the early, two, or like 2009, I think, um, we hit it off. And so I was like, at Niraj and Scuba had known each other because they both lived in New York at the same time. Um, but they never met Jay. And I've obviously never made music with these guys. So... Uh, yeah, it was. We all got in a room and wrote those, that intro and the three songs like in a day and recorded them the next day, and that's how that band has continued. Like the, the first LP was, we got in a room, wrote all those songs in a day and recorded them or two days maybe, and then we recorded them the following day. Sick. So that was, and that's how just the band has continued. Jay then left the band, and then now we have Tommy, uh, mm-hmm. who's in Gouge Away, and currently been playing in Angel Dust. Uh, playing drums but uh yeah it's just it's a fun thing to do playing but in, so playing yeah, in everybody's band i think he was playing with truthfully he was on tour with you he was playing for yeah, military military gun. Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 he's just a swiss army phenomenal. knife he's just filling in fucking everywhere yeah. i don't think that's an accurate analogy calling him swiss army knife but uh, he's so good he's a great drummer. Uh, great dude 
but yeah, then, I, you know, then I was like, I was so lucky to do like a seven inch for drug church, did one for dangers, did one for Elliot's band at that point, dad punchers now warm thoughts. Um, this band from Belgium called new moon, which that seven inch is like one of my favorite things, artwork and musically, um, band called no limbs, uh, which is important to me because the singer Joe, um, had a DIY, like a, he lived in a punk house basically. And like, you know, went to so many shows there. Uh, he's played in some great bands called like band called pressure. Um, uh, and, but so yeah, he started no limbs and thought it was great. It's like, just like good, fast, sort of like Bay area yeah. punk stuff, like okay. sort of like the nerve agents. Sick. Um, and, uh, then yeah, obviously gouge away and then soul glow. So yeah, it's like stuff that I'm so, also, and then obviously getting to do the fucking Seisha discography is the huge coolest you, thing right. in the entire world. Yeah. So, so rad. It's just an absolutely yeah, essential band in both of our lives. Pretty yeah, wild that man. they're fucking playing shows again. The fact that, the fact that like, I literally just like got a wild hair on my ass at like two in the morning and was like, I'm just going to fucking <laughs> message Billy Warner on Facebook and ask if I could put out their discography. Like, how dare I? It happened on Facebook. I think you talked on about fa- that in the how Billy episode. I think I low brow is that dude. fucking dude. It worked. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I th- as we say in the Billy episode, it's like, you know, you're fucking the Gretzky quote, like you miss all the shots you don't yeah, take. I so, cannot uh, tell you how excited I was to hear you make a hockey reference on a fucking podcast. I, I did a backflip. I was like, look at my sports guy <laughs> talking about hockey. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only quote I know from any sports figure ever. so funny. Uh, um, was, and it's probably because it's in the office. Yeah, I was just going to say, is it because it's in the office? Yeah, Whatever. It's uh, close enough for me. Uh, the Gajaway, producing the Gajaway record. That's another thing I wanted to just mention briefly. Oh, yeah. it, it was, a, I mean, the similar impulse to, to like uh, showing single mothers to Trey and being like, I want to have a part of this. Just like such a good band doing such a cool thing at the time. Just wanted to. I never produced a record yeah. or had any part of it. I'm a co-producer, meaning I wasn't there in the studio when they were doing it because mm-hmm. I was on tour. But I flew out to Florida and went through did basically like pre-production without recording it like okay. went through the songs sure. and made suggestions um some of which didn't get taken some of them did it's okay yeah it's their band yeah totally. you know what i'm saying um but it was really cool and and the parts that did that you know they did embrace i was like so happy uh to hear like the song uh ghost which is like one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. ever um that's what really made me want to work with them is because we were on tour with them and hearing them play that song every night i was like oh my god yeah. this song is so fucking good but i kept hearing like i just wish they double that chorus towards the end yeah, like those yeah, sorts yeah, of thoughts yeah. you know it's like just double that chorus towards the end and maybe just let the intro be a little different you know like kind of a thing and then uh i was so excited that they agreed to let me have any sort of an opinion on their songs um and it was a cool experience and and made me bond with them further um and then yeah they recorded it with jack shirley who knocked it out the park because it's jack shirley jack does that yeah yeah Yeah. true true legend bay area legend jack shirley another band like fucking camadre essential part of both of our existences i would imagine uh in dude the amount of times i tried to I've tried. I, I, I mean, I had asked them to play the Thousand Show, Did the you? TA one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like, eh, "It's just probably not a good time." But I'm gonna keep trying. One I'm day, gonna be, I'm gonna keep trying. Yeah, Mes- message, also, message like, one on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just... I know. I, so they did play a show 
like within the last five or six years or five years or something like that, they played a show that was like maybe a benefit or something like that. But it was like under, I forget what it was mysterious. Oh, really? But yeah, it was mysterious. They didn't like ham it up. Yeah. They didn't like advertise that they were very com- very comadre just to just to yeah. fucking do it. Totally. But looking at the pictures or videos, I was like, God damn, this band so so special it's just so like a, special a person steeple like 50 high just everyone piling on good vibe. do you know what they did in the diy days that made me just be like this band has it fucking figured out they used to tour with a pa oh dude what the fuck of course they did right right uh i and- think they played they played a show in grand rapids uh i i think with us we did like a weekend like a long weekend with comadre and it was like they hit us up on this you know also getting lowbrow although it's not that lowbrow because it's quite literally how our bands function for like a good five years yeah. they hit us up on myspace of course and uh they played they played the, this is a venue that that britty talked about in her episode in the pity sex episode where she talked about skeletons which she was dropping a lot of proper oh, nouns. Right. Yeah, she kept yeah, apologizing yeah. for all the proper nouns and i was like i get this i know what this is <laughs> You're speaking to me, an audience of one, but uh, it was a five like 500 cap room with a with a stage. And I think when Comadre played with us, they set up on the floor, and I don't think they could have moved the PA to do so. So they must have just rolled in with their own PA, which is brilliant. It's like honestly brilliant. brilliant. You can play anywhere. Brilliant. I was just uh, texting with our uh, mutual friend Ryan, who plays in Closer. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh. Sonagi. 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 Thank yeah. you. I appreciate you saying that. Yep. Uh, I, there's some band names. I just panic as soon as I see it. I'm like, oh. I think I know it. <laughs> um, uh, but Ryan was asking me about how I deal with not being able to hear myself. Mm. Like, and I was like, well, let me ask you this. Are you in a DIY venue or a, like a venue that has monitors and stuff? And it was like more of a DIY thing. And I was like, you're going to have those shows where just like you're, you have, your band is just going to be louder than you because probably the PA is like a guitar amp that the yep. venue thought would be mm-hmm. fine for a PA or f- to hear the vocals. It's like, don't kill yourself for those nights. Like, don't don't blow yourself out because it's it, no one will hear it. Anyway. No one cares. No one can. Yeah, yeah if they can't. Just, if they if they can hear you and you don't sound great, they don't care. Like the, those shows are yeah. so my advice was give it 20 percent at that point honestly it's like, just just whatever you do don't blow your fucking voice out just <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. the parts where it's going to be quieter go hard there mm-hmm. but don't 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 bat it's a it's a it's an uphill battle it's mm-hmm. not going to work it's not going to work um, no. so yeah i mean knowing that and like doing the diy tours where we're playing houses where yeah literally it's like all right here's the broken mic uh, with the cable that's falling out, um, and it's plugged into this Randall uh, practice amp. Randall you're just like practice amp, dude. You're we, just like, okay. We, I, so then you see you see Comadre roll up with their fucking nice PA, and they set it up, and you're just like, so they smart. sound perfect everywhere they play. Uh-huh. Yeah, what I would what I wouldn't have done for our own PA when we played a basement show in Oklahoma City, and. I yelled into the left channel of a pair of headphones because there was quite literally no microphone. It was just oh. headphones because you know you can do that, or I don't know if you can anymore. You used to be able to do that. You could the the, the left channel, the left headphone is like, well, I'm not a whatever. I'm not a fucking yeah 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 gear, yeah. gear guy. So any of my bandmates yeah. are going to listen to this and make fun of me incessantly. But whatever, it like can receive audio so we played a fucking show in a basement for like 10 people you know whatever show fell through and some band hit us up and they didn't have a pa so 
left channel of an old pair of headphones ran through a bass cabinet. <laughs> this, oh, that's so funny. I'm sure nobody heard anything, and I'm sure I looked really cool. Uh, yeah. Goddamn. Poetry. Publishing poetry, I think, is a fucking rad thing that you do. Um how different is the process from writing lyrics to songs? Do you, do you see it as sort of an extension? Do you feel musical in what you're writing or is it just like a totally different entity altogether? A fun way to start this conversation is because I was thinking about it in case you're going to ask about it, like the first time I wrote, a, like wrote any sort of poetry yeah. or whatever. I remember I had a girlfriend that I was seeing out in Orange County and it was before I drove. So I had to take the train out there all the time. And that was, and I think around that time I had like gotten more into like emo and screamo and all that stuff. So this would have been like, like 90, no, 2000, probably in 2000. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I like had this little notebook that had a fucking skull on the front. Of course. It was like real, real tough. Uh, but yeah, that was like my first time writing it, writing anything like that. And I think I found it when I was cleaning out my mom's house and was pretty pretty mortified by most of it sure. but there was like one or two that i was like okay like i could see what i was trying to do who i was trying to emulate all that sort of stuff um and then i then i sort of put it to the side but then i remember when i started writing lyrics for for touche stuff you know i i I found myself emulating sort of the same sorts of things. So I was like, okay, like I think this was just like the first step in me sort of understanding who I was as uh, a writer. Um, And I still get that sort of um, excitement. Like, I don't know how you are when it comes to writing things that aren't lyrics, but like I still find myself referencing or going back and like reading through things that have always been influences to me, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, poets or whomever, um but i do struggle with uh how do i say this like when it comes to writing things that aren't lyrics like that's when my imposter syndrome is like at its all-time high yeah you know um because with songs you can sort of hide behind the music in it Mm -hmm. and it's a group effort but when you're writing just something like a poem it's so much more naked. Like I could, like I just interviewed this amazing poet. Um, it'll come out in a couple of weeks uh, named Matthew Dickman that I'm like a huge fan of. And, you know, I was talking to him about um, like when you're uh, promoting a book and doing like a live reading, right. like, a, like at like an event. And I'm just like, Oh, take, it would take me back to like book report stuff, you know? And like, you don't have the, you don't have the ability to, to like be up there with other people. Right. So I don't know what I'm getting at is it's just like, it's not such a more naked free form sort of way of doing things. And and I used to say like, Oh, it's great because it's like, there's not enough. Um, there's less on the line because you're not having to like perform these songs for the rest of your life, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of a thing like that. Like, and that's a part that I, I do actually still embrace and I enjoy, like it feels like there's less at stake sure sure but as i've been doing it more um i'm not letting that motivate me when i start writing like i i I, i'm learning to take it a lot more seriously in the event that i may one day have to recite some of it to people (laughs) you know yeah totally 
uh that all i um yeah it feels it feels i i feel like i have had to embrace like the temporal nature of writing more recently to commit to doing it more regularly because i've had i have the same anxieties because uh when you're when you're writing for song you have a format you have a, a rhythm to build on you have the interplay between yourself and the instruments right like but when you're writing just to write it's so like you said naked it's so standalone you have to write something compelling to be read to be only read or or spoken aloud and that's a lot of that's a lot of fucking pressure but i love i love that you're uh planning for the future but go ahead yeah i am i mean you know i have a bit of a ocd brain in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um but one of the ways is that where I'm like, okay, I've been doing these month books, but I do them every year. I'm like, do I in like seven years when I or eight years when I have wrap it up all of these done, put it in a collection, you know? But I'm like, I should probably do some you know, I've always dreamed about really putting together like an honest collection of like all of the poetry I've written, not including the the train book. Um <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, all of all of that stuff plus all the lyrics plus all that you know like i think it'd be a really cool thing to have but um i always just feel like i gotta write more i gotta write more so i just keep putting out those smaller collections but they're very fulfilling to make i enjoy making them i love that they're Um, very fulfilling to read I, i enjoy owning them where where are you at with thank you where are you at with where's the the jordan novel coming when's that coming <laughs> uh, i feel like we've talked about you as a writer for a really long time and now i'm putting the spotlight on you like what's I, the i think that i mean i have been more consistently writing poetry for the first time in a very very long time in the last three years during the pandemic just to have that outlet and just just forcing myself to do it because the biggest obstacle for me is is the, is imposter syndrome that I don't feel any longer writing words for song. You know, it took me a long time to feel comfortable saying I'm a musician or whatever. And, and I finally am at a point where I, where I can claim that title despite a lack of formal training or whatever. But as far as writing goes, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I always, I always feel like there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a landmark up ahead, right? Like I'm writing to get to a, particular level where i feel i'm at my best and i'm my my craft is is good and and enjoyable enough to introduce into the public forum and i think my biggest obstacle in in the same way that like when you're when you're writing a song you constantly feel like you can change something to make it better until you finally record it and then even after you record it you sort of still feel that way until a certain point and then you're like oh yeah that was the right time for me to track that, for us to make this song, to release it and to be done with it. Getting to a point where I feel done with what I'm doing is very difficult as a writer. Um, anyway, this is a long way of saying that I think no, I get f- it. F- for me to write, for me to write beyond what I'm capable of writing right now requires uh, growth in a discipline I don't necessarily feel I have a grasp on yet, especially like writing a fucking novel seems so daunting because it's just like it's like something that you've never done it requires an entirely new skill set but also it probably doesn't the biggest thing that it involves and the biggest thing that making any art involves is like taking that first leap right and just fucking yeah doing it i mean i'm not saying this 
just because we're talking right now, but like of all of my friends, I believe you have that capability more than anyone. You Thank know you. what I'm saying? And it's and it's been awesome to, you know, what motivates me often is like seeing other friends taking stabs at at doing that stuff and doing it well. I mean, I don't know if you saw or have you read, but like Ned Russin put out mm-hmm. a book. I haven't read it yet. Which is, which is super cool. Like Dude, I was so, so excited. It's so excited because he's such a great writer. Totally. Um, or like, you know, or even when it comes to poetry stuff, like Ross from Ceremony is an incredible mm-hmm. writer, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, you were saying, sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying just more people like taking a stab at different different mediums yeah absolutely it's whether they're you know when you see friends that all of a sudden you're they start posting photos or paintings that they're doing and you're just like are you kidding me like what are you wasting your time yelling in the microphone for like you're clearly so good at this right and it's Uh, it's such a thing for i don't know it feels just like so baked into the industry to feel like an imposter all the time right especially i think just like what uh, the like the people that are attracted to punk rock are like people who have those anxieties generally speaking and and to like see more people getting to a point where they feel comfortable just like branching out and just like fucking because it takes a lot of courage i think to to and that's something i love about the fact that and i've and i've said this before to other people that like because i have such a hard time pulling the trigger on my own poetry i I love that that you have found a place where you're comfortable doing that and putting yourself out there that way because it is a totally different thing than writing for song which we hammered on last 10 minutes but yeah 1000 percent. yo i don't know if you've seen it but uh lee spielman of trash talk yeah is a fucking incredible painter and photographer where is i'm just like oh, dude like where has this been this whole time like are you kidding i had me right no now? idea like, that's so sick yeah he's unbelievable like I, I just i saw him not too long ago uh, I, I I see him maybe once or twice a year just in passing. Sure. And I was just like, I, I was like, I, I, I don't want to embarrass you right now, but I am fucking <laughs> just so stoked to see you doing that stuff because it's it's unbelievable. I really recommend people check it out. Check it's out Lisa. so good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I will. I love that, dude. Um, and I love you. This has been hella fucking fun. Uh, I'm going to ask you that last, the last question. After all we've Hit talked me, about, spanning your musical life uh, here in the last fucking two and a half hours or however long we're going now. So when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you'd been working so hard towards? That's your question, okay. unless I botched the wording. But yeah, hit me with no, it. No, that's it. You nailed it. Um, so for a long time, I'd always say that when we played Reading and Leeds Fest, like that was such a huge moment because we were playing this festival that Nirvana played. And like, I knew it, you know, like all of that sort of stuff. And then like when we were playing, I was like looking at all the people on the sides of the stage who were watching us. And there was like so many heroes that were watching us and right. like treating us like we were a part of their, like we, like we were all peers. And I was just like, this is the craziest thing in the entire world. I'd always reference that, but that for me, I think was more of a, in retrospect, more of like, an acceptance as opposed to like feeling accomplished in any sort of way. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I think that, um, when we played sound and fury 2000, like in 2009, um, that was crazy because we went in there feeling very out of place 
you know like there was no other band on that that would come close to like totally the sound we were making we were like you know it was like pre-sound and fury diversifying the lineup yes because now i think it's more normal but but like you were you were it was you were the least hardcore of of sound and fury circa 2009 for sure and title fight did play and that was their first time on the west coast but they played i think it was the next day or something um but we played the small stage um there's some funny (laughs) funny realizations that have come over the years did you ever know andy rice do you know andy rice yeah andy from uh green vans andy defeater andy no 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 No, that's right that's right that's right yeah yeah yeah. good good ear though yeah uh no andy rice is he was a booking agent for people he used to he worked out of the death wish office oh yeah Um, no i do i do uh i know this person yeah yeah, he lives actually, I think, in the Northwest now. But okay. anyway, um, <laughs> so like we had, I think our, I think we had a 20 minute set, maybe less. Anyway, <laughs> I think we played for 11 minutes and Andy was like, we didn't know who he was yet, but he was like, you guys are done. Last song, like made us end early. And uh, but the crowd for us was like really crazy like yeah we're that was the most amount of people that were singing along to us we were kind of like it felt like we were sort of uh like like putting like putting our flag in in this world being like we're here you know like this is you might not get it you might not like it i don't know what but like we are making our mark here and you can't get rid of us um, as much as maybe some, some aspects of this festival are making us not feel so welcome here. But like when we went up and started, like all of a sudden the whole floor filled with like, you know, people in like small t-shirts sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and we're like singing along really loud. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like such an overwhelming, like, Oh my God, like this is, this is crazy. And then, yeah, we were told like, you guys are done. We're like, what the fuck? So Andy confided in me later, once we became friends, he was like, Yeah, I kicked you guys off early. I was over it. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, wow, dude. Because he was like, he was the stage manager. He was like, he's like, Yeah, so a band ran over and I just figured I'd cut your set to make it even out. And I'm just like, Holy shit. <laughs> so it's like you're it's like all of the things that I was internally feeling, I wasn't vocalizing that I wasn't feeling very welcome, you know. But, but like, it was very hear, it was validated it was, after it was validating. the fact. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, and then the band that played after us, I remember the singer saying, uh, all right, well, whatever the fuck that just was. Like yeah. that's how they started their set. And I was just like, fuck, man. Remember, I, I forget and, that there was like so much internal hostility. In, yeah. So I, but, so I was feeling away, but I was also feeling very like supported at the same time. Sure. I was like, I was like, no one can deny that we just had one of the craziest sets of this festival. Totally. Like no one can deny that. So we go to the merch table and I'm there and I'm like chilling, selling some stuff. And then Trey comes over, introduces himself. And I <laughs> said the most Trey thing ever where uh, he was under the impression that Jeff Rickley had just had only put out our record like on collect, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, he didn't know it was also 6131. And so he goes, hey, how do I get your records in my web store? I don't know how to talk to famous people or whatever. <laughs> Extremely Trey. 
And I was just started laughing and I was like, I was like, dude, it's, it's, it's like 6131. Like you can get stuff from them. Like, I'm happy to also like send you a box of records, whatever, whatever makes your life easier. And that's when our relationship started. Like yeah. he came up to us and was like, that was fucking great. Your band is cool. Like I want to support you. And then, you know, within a year and a half, we were officially on death wish and cool. like we had been talking that whole time. So right. like death wish wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that set. Um, you know, feeling like we were, you know, uh, making our own claim there and feeling supported by the people that were interested in supporting us. I don't know. It was just like, it was a very exciting moment, you know, totally. all 11 sounds, minutes of it or whatever. Dude, it's, I mean, it sounds like so, yeah, I don't know. So many like a confluence of factors. Like I, I, I do very distinctly remember from that era, you guys kind of like perpetually having a middle finger out at, at people who doubted you. And, and, and we felt, I mean, we're, we're I, <laughs> polite Midwesterners and less likely to uh, engage aggressively. But but uh, I, I do remember not feeling particularly welcome, just like being kind of oddball bands who were starting to gain momentum. So like for you guys to play that show in like a very, in like a stronghold of, at the time, that kind of like exclusive uh, mentality and aggressive music to, and then to like, to have people who came react that way in spite of the hostility you were feeling. And then to also have that hostility validated and then have to, and then to have Trey, like somebody who's like the, you know, kind of old guard, like death wish is a, especially at that moment was like the, the biggest stamp of approval probably you could have gotten for the band. And, and that's fucking so rad to have that all happen in, in, in a chaotic 11 minute set that got cut short. That's a cool, that's a cool story. <laughs> it was it was truly something and i'm i'm so thankful it happened and also there's a nice little memento where if anyone ever has ever seen the uh the uh sound and fury press of to the beat of a dead horse that uh our old guitar player tyson painted um it just also is just so perfectly so insane. perfect <laughs> it's so insane. perfectly insane um but yeah so that i think that's my i think that's my answer that's a great answer um, that's a fucking yeah. perfect answer man do you do yeah. you uh, follow up? I mean, do you still do you still feel? I mean, obviously it's different. You like emotions evolve, and and your relationship to playing songs evolves, and being in front of an audience evolves. Do you still do you still feel? I don't know that that like spark playing shows. I guess has it has it changed the way that you engage with what you do? Do you? It's a complicated. It can be a complicated. Yeah, it's answer. a complicated question. Um. Um. And it's it's it's. I am guilty of um, not being able to control myself smiling when we play. Mm -hmm. Like it's like a thing that I can't not do mm -hmm. at times, which I'm sure is jarring to someone who's <laughs> like, dude, what? Um, and I could probably try to give some really long answer about this or that. But I think that, the proof is in the fact that I can't help but smile when I'm having a really, really great time yeah. playing, you know, like I, it's never going to be lost on me that I'm in a position to play songs that I'm proud of with these people that I'm so lucky to call friends sure. and still get along with so well after all these years, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's an overwhelmingly exciting thing. And uh, I just kind of try to do my best to look at every opportunity as like something worthwhile. Even the shows that I would be like, whoa, this was a fucking 
Totally. Like, why did we accept this festival? <laughs> why did we, why are we here? Like all of those sorts of things in the moment can feel pretty terrible. But um, as we know, those are the things you end up talking about the most, you right. know, the, the worst times that you could have on tour or, uh, you know, a bad show, whatever, like, those are the ones that always end up being talked about. And it's mm -hmm. because you went through something together. So totally. that's what that's, that's, uh, makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. That's perfectly put, man, honestly. Uh, and I, I think that like your, your smile on stage is just to me, like the perfect synopsis of what your band means to me. Cause it's always felt like, uh, especially especially i said earlier like making the transition from dead horse to to parting the sea but like there's there's an air of triumph in in what you do and that, that's my lasting image is like you smiling on stage with your friends fuck yeah playing music i love that it's fucking cool i love that love you dude thanks for talking with me yeah And that is our show. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you to Jordan for doing this. And uh, don't forget, there's a bonus episode available right now. If you go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, you can hear that. Uh, subscribe for as little as three bucks and get those bonus episodes. And hey, I'll mention, uh, check out Lotus Boots tour dates. They're doing a wildlife anniversary tour. How awesome is that? Uh, it's probably coming to your town. Check the dates. All right, I will see you on Monday with a brand new radio hour and then Wednesday with a brand new interview. Take care. Bye-bye.